Well, I asked you to huddle up because uh, we're going to talk about today something I think is, is pretty important, and I think it will inspire you. What I'm talking about, I, I wrote some ideas down and put it within a sermon, uh, the best that I know how to, uh, and it's kind of stemmed and come out of just some of the frustrations that I've had in my own spiritual life. And so I hope that what I have found in the scriptures and through the trial and error maybe help you today, but mostly just hope that it inspires you uh, because what I'm going to say today is really good news for us all. Uh, in the face of some of the frustrations that we might have had in our spiritual life, I'm going to give you some good news today. I'll take, let you have it, let you chew on it, let you apply it and implement it in your life. Hopefully change your perspective about God and the way he works a little bit. So that's what I'd like to do. In my line of work, I deal with uh, people that are always trying to use willpower. And... Um, Oftentimes, to not very great success. You thought I was talking about my substance abuse job, didn't you? Oh, I'm talking about you. No, I'm talking about both. I'm using that as an illustration. I work with guys in, in, all the time that are just trying to increase their willpower. Got to do it this time. Uh, there's been so many times where the will pl- will, their willpower has thrown up the white flag surrendered. And so they're looking for something new. They're looking for a different approach. And this was me in my spiritual life. I am well aware of my willpower and its limitations. You? This is almost a conflict of interest with these guys because in that line of work, you also have what is called the disease model. Uh, And so the, the belief is that my alcoholism or my drug abuse is a disease that I have. I just have to deal with it. But then on the other hand, they talk out of the other side of their mouth and say, I just need to increase my willpower as if that would help with a disease. So we're all kind of messed up on this. You and I as Christians, followers of Christ, I think we're a little bit all kind of messed up on this too. I know that I was. Willpowering my way to a more spiritual bend. This just sounds bad, doesn't it? Yeah, Ben, we know. It did sound good. Willpowering my way to a more spiritual Ben. You can add your name into that. How well does that work? Is there a different approach? I think there is. You can go back into the early days of Christianity uh, the apostles, a very popular form of worship, just kind of following them was this asceticism and uh, being monks or monastics and this idea of, of uh, being aesthetic kind of kicked in and it became a means of like measuring people's spirituality. And so I guess people kind of wanted to be like John the Baptist, you know, because well, he was really spiritual, right? Maybe that's the way to go. And you know what Jesus said about John the Baptist? You know, there's never been a man more spiritual born um, to a woman than John the Baptist, his own cousin. Well, there's a couple of guys that I think took this a little bit too extreme. One of them was named Anthony. He was the founder of monasticism. He never changed his vest or never washed his feet in an attempt to avoid being worldly. A little over the top, huh? 
Simeon Stylites had him beat, he spent the last 36 years of his life atop a 50-foot pillar. And he only came down occasionally to eat and drink. After he spent a few years up there, he began to develop sores from it. But he stayed up there 36 years in an effort to try to be spiritual. He is quoted as saying, Eat your fill, little one, till your heart is merry as a bug landed on one of his sores. Good morning. <laughs> Boy, that's a guy trying to earn things. That's a guy trying to will, willpower his way to spirituality. John Christosom, maybe you even heard of him. He's called the golden orator because he would captivate his audiences when he preached. Well, he spent a large amount of his life in a cave until he nearly died because of the harsh treatment that he gave himself. Later on, when he returned to normal life, in the church that he preached, they installed a receptacle in the back pew for him to vomit in because of all the fasting that he did. Monasticism today isn't quite that crazy, but there's still this effort uh, to win our spirituality through our effort and our willpower. Uh, Today, you and I who are the non-monk persuasion of Christianity, (laughs) we still got a little of this though. When we try to beat our body and willpower it, This is an effort for you and I to be in control. And it's very tempting. It's very magnetic. That we can try to self-denial and feel real good about that. We can gain a comfort zone from this as it makes us feel like we're closer to God or that we're more godly. And we might not spend 36 years up on a pillar But it seems like we try to glorify God with our own willpower and we end up being discouraged and we can often end up just being complete failures at this. So is there a different approach? Well, I feel that we, or I know that I, am guilty of this same thing, maybe just on a lesser level. I use my own willpower to make my actions of my body look as if my soul is fully Christian or fully godly. And that's not always the case. I think that you'd agree that this good Christian action does not always flow from my heart, but I try to make it happen on my own. And one of the things that a Christian struggles with is to walk the walk and to talk the talk. There's supposedly this walk that we're supposed to do and this talk that we're supposed to talk. It seems that more often than not... We use our willpower to bring about the walk and talk rather than letting it come from a cultivated heart. Art just talked this morning about giving. God wants a cheerful, inspired giver. That's what he's looking for. But you and I have to shake that check into the plate sometimes, right? This isn't what he's looking for. Somehow... God says to us, I can inspire you to do this. 
I can be the wind beneath your wings. Ah, that's just bad, isn't it? But you know what I'm talking about, right? How can I be the one that benefits from God working within me? That seems like a whole lot better approach. And I think that I've got more potential to succeed at this thing if that's the way that I approach it. I'm in Colossians chapter 2. Paul gives us some counsel in this. Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 20 and following. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Listen to what he says are the rules. Here they are. Do you know this one? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. How many times have you said stuff like that? Or do not watch. Or do not eat. Do not touch. Look what he says about it. These rules, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. They're not wise. Listen, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They don't work. Your rules don't work. Your willpower, we're all familiar with this, is going to surrender over time. With use, Paul says, you're going to fail. Okay, so what do we do about this? Does that mean I just don't even try? Well, no, that's not what that means. But how do I I deal with this? What's the new approach and how can I implement the new approach into my life? First of all, the approach that we've been taking has got a couple of strikes against us. Um, Paul says it lacks any restraint in restraining our sexual indulgences. Our willpower is not going to get us there. So Paul says, first of all, it doesn't work. Second of all, here's the second strike against it. It's absolutely exhausting and discouraging. I run into my own limitations, and then I begin to tell myself stuff that doesn't work. I begin to have shameful thoughts and tell myself shameful things. Well, that doesn't help me at all. Or I began to say to myself, well, you just need to try harder, Ben. You need to focus more, Ben. I just tried that and it didn't work. Two strikes. It doesn't work. And it's exhausting. And it'll emotionally and spiritually deplete you. So my guys have all kinds of experience with this. They've tried, they've tried, they've muscled up. White knuckling is what we call it, right? White knuckles. And it just doesn't work. It might work for a little time with its self-imposed worship. But God is saying to us, I need to be the one that's centered on and I will work this stuff in all of you. That just seems like so much a better approach. And that seems to me like it's good news. You mean God really will move and shake in my life to help me gain and improve myself? Yeah. Yeah, 
Philippians chapter 2. I know that you know this one probably as well. Verse 13 says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Is that good news? How do I do this? How have I missed this one? Well, you haven't. Because there's all times in your life where you would say, I was inspired. I really felt close to God. God was working. God orchestrated events, and I saw it, and I walked through the doors, and man, if I could have it like that all the time, this would be good. So you haven't completely missed it, but somehow we haven't in, in, engaged it as well as what we have ought to, or as much as we should. Therefore, my dear friends, verse 12, the one before it says, as you've always obeyed, not only in my present, but now, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out with fear and trembling. That's what we do this. If we are engaged with God, our heart becomes so much more truer and genuine because we're able to submit more to him. Found a journal going through some books last night. Found a journal of a tough time in my life. And the journal was full of prayers as I was going through that tough time in my life. Wow, they were good prayers. Wow, they were totally submissive to God. Help me, God. At that time, my heart was genuinely through and through for God, needing God, relying on God. And as difficult as the time in my life was, wow, things were Things in my prayer life were fantastic. Never prayed more. Never needed God more. And at that time in my life, as I read through a couple of those prayers, a job showed up that is exactly what I was looking for. And so God showed up with something in my life, moved and shaked in my life, and gave me something that filled me with inspiration even during the worst time of my life. It really worked. <laughs> now, do I just want to go out and have every bad thing happen to me so I can get this thing in gear more? Not at all. But what could I do, even when times are better, to really get this thing going? How do I work out my faith with fear and trembling on a daily basis? That's probably what I've missed. And that's probably what's caused the inconsistency in my life where at some times I feel inspired and other times, where are you at, God? And I don't feel it. And then I try to work on it in my own willpower. All right, here's one back from Ezekiel in the Old Testament. I got to get me an Old Testament verse in there sooner or later sometime, right? Ezekiel 36 says this. Just listen to this. I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. And this is at a time where the Israelites are far, far from God. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Did you know that promise was available? I'll put my spirit in you to move you 
to follow my decrees and laws. I don't know exactly how all of that works. And I know he's got his ways of doing things. But that's available. This stone heart being removed, that's good. And to put his spirit within me that moves and shakes. That promise is available. Ezekiel tells us that way before that ever happened with the spirit of Christ living in us. You do have that spirit living in you now. And it is producing, trying to produce the fruit of the spirit. So instead of do not taste and do not touch, you and I might say to ourselves, I need more patience or I need to love better or kindness. Oh boy, I need that one. Fake smiles come out. You hear a pastor talk about service or doing something nice, and so we muster up the courage to do one of those things. But maybe in all of that, we've forgotten this is the fruit of the Spirit. This isn't the fruit of Ben, because he can't work it, even if he's tried over and over. Do not taste do not touch. Boy, I sure thought, you know, mom always said that sounded like good advice. It's dying. Just like the world that we live in. You continue to use that approach, it'll die. Because you and I in our fallen nature can't reproduce it. We can't work it. Our flesh is going to overcome our spirit sooner or later. Wouldn't it be great if the Spirit could always overcome the flesh? Okay, so where I work, we can kind of talk about God, but kind of not, right? You got to walk a little bit careful on that stuff. But hey, some people that come in are at the very bottom of their life. Maybe it is time to talk about God, and you can get away with it a little bit. So we do. But also, in an effort to walk lightly on that, for somebody who might not be receptive, I came up with a little something to describe what I feel like needs to happen. They need Jesus, that's for sure. But if the conversation can't go there just yet, here's what I call it. An inner dynamic change. That's what we need. I have to find a different way to look at things for me to improve in those areas that I want to. If I am struggling with a do not taste or a do not touch or do not look at that on the computer, all of the do nots laws that I've made for myself, if I'm trying to will my willpower my way through that, I got to just start over, square one, cut my losses, and figure out a new approach that is full of wisdom and allow God to help me with that. I got to work out my fear, my faith with fear and trembling. I've got to rely on him for his sustenance. I've got to go to him when my hand is on the computer mouse and it trembles and the conviction is there. What am I going to do right then? If I focus on him and I say, God, I am going to allow you to fill me with what I'm trying to use right now to fill my soul. I'm not going to use it because I've known that it doesn't work. A new approach. I'm going to rely on you, God. I know you will give me what I'm really searching for. The problem is, you can't just click a button and have God give it to you, right? 
He's going to drag you through some mud, trials, deserts, molding and shaping a new you that doesn't need the willpower there, but is now inspired because it has overcome. Inner dynamic change is what God's working on. It can't just happen like that. It takes time. And so you and I work our faith out with fear and trembling. God will get us there. And God will get us to a point where we just see things differently. He's molding our thinking, making it more in line with him and his son. And that's how he helps us to overcome. So let's just take something that all of us can relate to. How do you feel about yourself? Great if you've got a great self-regard. That's fantastic. Somehow, in some way, you got help with that. What if I don't feel good about myself? What if I don't like the way that I look? What if I don't like my past and I've let it drag me down? What, what if, what if, what if, what if? How do I do this? When I look in that mirror again and I don't like what I see, I have a daily trigger to just jump right back into that wrong thinking. Well, how do I do this? I can read a book. I can do some self-help. I can get a counselor. I can also just go to God and I can understand from the truth of his scriptures what it says about me and who I am in his family. What it says about me that his son came and died for me. And I can begin to work up the courage to live by those truths in fear and trembling, I can launch out. I can think differently of myself. I can try new stuff that I would have never tried before. God can mold and work this in me as I just trust with fear and trembling in his scriptures and what he did for me. Think about it. The Son of God died for you. What can that mean? Not only this, but he promised that when he went away and brought his spirit back, it would live in you. And we've just read the verses that, it, that, that he promises, I'm going to move inside of you. Guide, mentor, teach, help you overcome. I'm going to close with a couple stories here, maybe as a way to illustrate. Teddy Stollard was a rag doll. He had little interest in school. His clothes were ragged. His hair was rarely combed. When Miss Thompson spoke to Teddy, she often seemed like he was in la-la land. Even though she said she loved all the kids the same way, she wasn't being totally truthful. Her patience for those kids like Teddy, who didn't seem to care, was very thin. Whenever she marked Teddy's papers, she seemed to enjoy marking X's next to his wrong answers. And when she put the F's at the top of his paper, she did it with a flare. She should have known better. She had his records. She knew what he'd been through. In first grade, his report card said, Teddy shows promise with his work and attitude, but he has a poor home situation. In second grade, Teddy could do better. His mother is ill, and Teddy receives little help at home. Third grade, Teddy's a good boy, but he's a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade, Teddy's very slow. He's well-behaved, but his father shows no interest at him at all, in him at all. When Christmas came, the boys and girls brought Miss Thompson presents. 
They piled the presents on her desk, and everyone crowded around to watch her unwrap them. Among the presents was one from Teddy Stollard. It was wrapped in brown paper, and on the paper, wrapped with scotch tape, was the message to Miss Thompson from Teddy. When she opened Teddy's present, out fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half the stones missing and a half-empty bottle of cheap perfume. The other boys and girls began to snicker, but Miss Thompson had the presence of mind to silence them by immediately putting on the bracelet and some perfume. She said to the class, doesn't that smell nice? Thank you, Teddy. At the end of the day, when the other children had left, Teddy lingered behind. He came slowly to her desk and softly said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother used to, and her bracelet looks really pretty on you. I'm so glad you liked my present. When Teddy left, Miss Thompson got down on her knees and asked God for forgiveness. The next day, when the kids arrived at school, they were greeted by a new Miss Thompson. She had become a new person. No longer was she just a teacher. Now she was a minister and a servant of the Lord. She helped all the children, but especially the slower ones, like Teddy Stollard. By the end of the school year, Teddy showed dramatic improvement and had caught up with most of the students in the class. Miss Thompson didn't hear from Teddy for a long time. Then one day, she received a note from him that said, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to know that I'll be graduating from high school number two in my class. Four years later, another letter. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I would be graduating first in my college class. It hasn't been easy, but I just wanted you to know. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, another letter came. Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, M.D. Wanted you to be the first to know that I'm getting married next month. I'd like for you to come and sit where my mother would have sat because you're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Love, Teddy Stollard. Miss Thompson went to the wedding. Miss Thompson sat where Teddy's mother would have sat, and she deserved to. She'd done something that no one else had done. She had taken a rag doll that no one else would love, and she made it valuable by loving it. She had overcome her weaknesses. I don't know. I hope that story helps you. But also, we need to be aware of how God does this, and sometimes it's not fun. Last night, or tomorrow is Lillian's birthday. Last night, her and a couple girls came up to a movie, and I was going to be the one that picked them up when the movie got over, about 10.15, 10.20. So I was driving up from Coon Rapids to pick them up, and... Um, I had got to Glidden, and uh, she had called and said, okay, we're done now. I said, okay, I'll be there in about five, ten minutes, no problem. And uh, I got out kind of by the country club, and there she called again. A little impatient, right? She needs to work on this. She needs the fruit of the Spirit. Said, yes, Lil, I'm, I'm just a couple minutes out. I'll be there in just a second. Well, Dad, they, the, the door on the theater, they locked us out. We're just standing here, and... Uh, there's a bunch of weird people around, so I'm just wondering where you're at. And so I said, okay, well, just, you know, I'll stay on the phone with you. I'm, I'll just, I'm just a couple minutes away. And then all of a sudden, things kind of turned south. And I can hear my daughter running and crying because there's two guys that are coming after them. And so, I, sweetheart, just 
By this time, she's headed towards J.C. Penney's from the theater. I said, go out to the buckle. I will meet you there. I am almost there. And I am not as close to there as I want to be. And you've seen all the movies and you've heard all the stories. What if? And so, daddy, hurry. Daddy, daddy. Wow. She turned the corner towards the buckle and there had just happened to be by God's grace, a police officer at the buckle that had pulled somebody over. So they ran to the police officer and they just stood there. The people, these two guys, continued to follow and sat on the benches right there in the mid-block. And by this time, I'm okay, good, they're by the cops, they're okay. I got stopped by a stoplight and I'm, I'm driving through Carroll way too fast. And so I'm feeling better now, stopped by a stoplight just Two, two blocks away, and I finally got there. They ran out into the car out in the middle of Highway 30, and by the, I had got stopped at that red light there, and I could see those two guys sitting on that bench. Uh, but the cop had kind of blocked the, uh, the drive so that I couldn't turn into the one way there. And besides, the girls didn't want to drive by those guys anyway. But it was very real for a minute, and I was not there. And you think about, wow, what if? Uh, and you also think about how bad of a dad you've been. But you also think about how good of a dad you want to be now. And you see that God used the whole situation to try to move something in you to maybe jar you loose, to wake up again to the things that you've been convicted about, but also to put it in your heart to aspire and inspire you and move you, not on your own power. Ben, you got to be a better dad. I've tried that. But now all of a sudden, God has presented the situations to be a better dad, to inspire me to do it. And this is how he works. Let's not also forget there can be overwhelming joys that come in your life that he will also use to inspire and aspire you to overcome, to be better. When he graces you and you feel that grace in your bones, oh, man, what are you doing? God is so good. Why do you turn your back on him? Why do you turn to the left or the right? Why not be on the straight and narrow with God? He's so good. It's those thoughts. It's those different perceptions that God introduces into our life via a hard time or a wonderful time of grace. But here's what we need to know in the bottom line of it all. We got a great God who died for you while you were yet a sinner. And if that weren't enough, he now wants to help you with your sin to overcome and to do it with gusto and to be alive so that you can then look in the mirror and look back and to truly understand that you are a new person in him. I'm just not like I used to be. I am new. And now you and I can have a better understanding of what he means when he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, because I am yoked with you, helping you, moving your heart to follow my decrees. Let's pray. 
God, this was a tough one to talk about because we don't always have you figured out or know the ways in which you work. And your mercies are new every day and your, your guidance is full of surprises. But God, we've touched on the truth of your scripture here that you've promised us help, motivation, and aspiration. You've promised us a spirit indwelling in us that's excited to move us. God, give us an excitement from that. Inspire us with those truths. And Lord, let us be watchful of how you're working in our life so that we can finally, maybe, finally overcome, be victorious. Most of all, just be new people like your scriptures have promised that the old man or woman is gone. And the new has come. God, you are the only thing in this universe that renews. Thank you for that. God, I'm just thinking of people in this room today, people that we work with, struggling, tendencies, habits, whatever it might be. Help us to mold and shape new character traits in us, God. Help us this week to come to you and approach these things with a different wisdom that we tried last week, with the truths that you are there to help. You're yoked with us and that your spirit lives inside of us, mostly that we're your child. You're our daddy, and you want to guide, give us wisdom, protect also mold us into people that are effective for your kingdom. Thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and stand for our invitation time. Maybe you got a similar story to what I was talking about today. I'm going to come up for some prayer or some family to stand around side of you for some help. Church membership. Join the church. Or give your life to Christ for the first time. Somebody in here may be thinking that. Come on up. Come on up. Uh, You'll be coming up to stand by me. But don't forget that our great God will be standing by us when you're up here. Maybe this is your day.